Chapter 12, let's get on to the lesson. Let's get to the most important thing of all, God's Word. How are Christians supposed to function together? Is really the answer that Paul is going to give in this section. There's a great challenge that I think must be considered when you think about a local church. You have all different kinds of people all coming together in this one place. And they are being asked to function as a unit and function as Christians toward one another. And you think about from our, even our own group right here, as, as small as we are, you have different ages, people coming from different cultures. We have different races, people from different states. I'm from California. People from different countries that, that are here, different upbringings. Uh, some have a Christian background. Some were raised on the pews. Say some, this is the first time they've really had any kind of relationship with God and are just learning about God. People that could uh, quote the Bible backward to you, to people who have a very hard time finding the books of the Bible. Uh, you think about where everybody comes from, and yet they're all supposed to come together and function together. And you add on top of that what we see in the first century church in Corinth. Corinth is a, a, a massive city with the same thing. People from all over the place. You have various kinds of, of backgrounds, uh, various kinds of upbringings. You have Romans, you have Greeks, you have Jews. And on top of that, these Christians all have different spiritual miraculous gifts that they're using. And so Paul is going to write in this section from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 31, about how that's supposed to work together. And we're going to learn a lot for ourselves in this lesson of how we are then are to function together as the Lord's body in this location. In verses 12 and 13, you'll notice his first point that he wants to get at is that there is supposed to be unity in the body. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and it has many parts and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He says, think about your own human body. It has all kinds of parts to it, but you have one body. Though different all those parts may be, different as all those things can be on our bodies and all the different functions from hands and ears and eyes, they all do different things. And yet it's still one body. And he says, so it is with Christ in the body of Christ. There's supposed to be unity. There's supposed to be one body. And the way that he explains it is perhaps a little complicated. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we're all made to drink one spirit. Now, let's talk about that for a minute, because that's his explanation. This is why we're supposed to have unity. He begins by saying we are joined together because we have the same experience. He says that in verse 13, all were baptized into the one body in one spirit and all were made to drink of the one spirit. And I want us to notice what he's emphasizing is he doesn't say that some were baptized in the spirit or some were made to drink of the spirit. He says there is something that is unifying amongst all Christians as he writes to these Corinthians. There is something that though many parts that makes us one and he uses the imagery 
in verse 13 of uh, being in one spirit and all baptized into one body and that we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the big question is, well, what does that mean? What is he trying to tell us of these two things that we share together in a common experience that unifies us? Well, when we look in the scriptures and you start looking at, well, what was promised concerning the Holy Spirit that all Christians were going to have? You see a lot of places that we can look, but I think Acts 2.38 is perhaps one of the simplest, where Peter says, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God will call to Himself. Notice here's the, the call that's given. Repent, be baptized, every one of you. And notice the results of that are two things. Number one, the forgiveness of sins. And then the part that we often don't want to talk about because it's confusing, but and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I think that Paul is identifying. He is saying in the conversion experience, when we come together and we come to Christ and we repent and we are baptized, he says there is forgiveness of sins and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't have time for the seven lessons of the Holy Spirit. I do have that Holy Spirit material in the back if you ever want to look at that uh, or online. But really quick. Here's what the scriptures promise concerning the Holy Spirit. The prophets promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see John the baptizer speaking of it and promising it and Jesus himself as well. And the promise was a beautiful picture of there's going to be the blessings of God, a restored relationship with God, the entrance into the kingdom of God that you now could belong to him again. And what a lot of people will do with this verse, and remember we're studying the idea of spiritual gifts, is suggest that there is something that is separate here. That you come to Christ, but then there is this spirit baptism. But I want you to notice that that's not how Paul describes this at all. In verse 13, his very argument is that this is something that everybody shares. The emphasis in the words here is all. All were made to drink of the same Spirit. And all were in the Spirit were baptized into one body. This is not something that you would look at some and say, well, some have this and some don't. And some experience that and and, and some do not. He's speaking of something about the Holy Spirit that would apply to all Christians so that we would have a common bond together, that we would be joined together. And so that's referring to the conversion experience when we come to Christ. Forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to God, entrance into the kingdom of God, the blessings of God, this restored relationship. This is what God was promising through the prophets, through John the Baptist and what Jesus himself spoke of. And notice that's exactly what it means when it says all drink of one spirit. That's what Jesus said. John seven thirty seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So just stop there a minute. Whoever comes to me, they're going to drink and there's going to be the flowing of living waters. There's a great picture of life. Come to him and receive true life. 
Receive forgiveness. You're now going to belong to Him. But then, the very next verse, verse 39, He says, Now He said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus has to die. He raises from the dead, returns to the Father, and that's what we see happening now in Acts 2, is now the Spirit is poured out. And it's a great picture of now we have entrance into the kingdom of God. And that's why in Acts 2, the Jews are so excited. In Acts 10, the Gentiles are so excited because it's a declaration of now you can receive eternal life. Now that the Messiah has come, Jesus the Christ, he has died for sins. He's shown himself to be in power over Satan and has risen from the dead. That now allows opportunity for all people to be reconciled to to God, to call upon God as their father, to be children of God and to belong to his glorious kingdom. That's all what this terminology means. This is what the Apostle Paul is driving at. In these first two verses, verse 12, verse 13, he's saying, even though we all have different parts and different functions, Different people, different ranges to the the Corinthian church in the first century. Even different spiritual gifts. He says, but we all share in something. We all have a common bond. No matter where we come from, no matter what that background is, no matter what we do for the Lord, no matter what you grew up with, no matter what you've learned, no matter what country or state you're from, we share in a common experience. And we share in that salvation experience. We share in the conversion experience. And that is what makes us one. We can be joined together as one because we are joined by something that is greater than family, that is greater than race, that is greater than nationality, that is greater than upbringing, that is greater than culture, that's greater than anything else that we may have experienced in this life. We are joined in salvation in Christ. That is the common bond that we have. And the blessings that come in being in Christ are something that we enjoy together. And that's all that Paul is doing. Well, verse 13 sounds awfully complicated. All he's saying is when you came to Christ, you experienced all the blessings of the Spirit. You have forgiveness of sins and a restored relationship and enter the kingdom of God and receive every spiritual blessing. And every single one who is a follower of Christ in this room, we have a similar conversion, salvation experience. And though everything about our lives might be completely different, we share that. And we can be one on the basis of that truth. And so he calls for them to come together. Which I think leads to just an important thought before we leave these two verses. That suggests that how we enter into this relationship with Jesus is important. Because he is describing something that he says is in common. It's something that we have all done, that we can all point to and relate to. That all of us have gone through the experience of recognizing the gravity of sin. And our hatred of what we've done against God. And our desire to follow Christ. And that we've repented of sins. That we have confessed Jesus as Lord and as the Son of God. That we have been immersed in water to have our sins washed away. He's pointing to there must be things in common. And it cannot be 
that there would be some who would say, well, you know, I haven't done some of those things, and others who've done a fourth of those things, and others who've done all of those things. What Paul points to is something that you can say, but there's something that we've all experienced together. There's something that we've all enjoyed together. That we've all entered into the, into Christ and we've all experienced that covenant relationship. And we understand the concept of believing in our Lord and repenting of sins and confessing our sins and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. We share a common salvation experience and that binds us above all things. They talk about a, a phrase, blood before water and things like that. The blood of Christ trumps all relationships. And that becomes the new family that we now enjoy. So those first two verses, verse 12, verse 13, highlight something very important. We can be unified, even though very different in many ways. Now in verses 14 through 20, he'll now speak to the opposite side and say, now just because we are to be united doesn't mean that we're not diverse. It doesn't mean that there aren't major differences. Notice at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one part, but many. That's what he wants us to get at. Now think about the human body. That's what what the reading was. Is how good would your body be if every single part of your body was a finger? You didn't have a nose, you had a finger. And you didn't have eyes, you had a finger. You didn't have an elbow, you had a finger. And you didn't have a foot, you had a finger. That's what he's saying. You can't have all the same part. We need diversity of parts on the human body for it to function properly. And so, yes, we are unified together, but there are different parts on the body. And, of course, those different parts do different things. And that then, I think, leads us to recognize something quite obvious Different parts do different things. Therefore, we can all do different things in the body of Christ. There are things that you can do that I'm not as good at. And there are things that I can do that you may not be as good at. And that's the whole point. The hand is not a very good hearing instrument. And the ear is not a very good seeing instrument. Different parts do different things. And that becomes the beauty of the body of Christ is that you take all of these people with different abilities from different culture, different relationships, different backgrounds, different locations, and you throw them all together and you say, now, you do what you're good at and you do what you're good at and you do what you're good at and we will all do together as one in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, I think what too often happens is we have the tendency to look at other Christians around us and go, well, I can't do what they do. And that seems to be the problem in the church in Corinth. They have all these different miraculous spiritual gifts. And this person goes, well, I only have the gift of prophecy. And uh, I'm really bummed about that. And I wish I could be the tongue speaker. That sounds like what was one of the biggest problems they had. And other words, I have the gift of knowledge, and that's not great. I don't want that one. And you had all of them now conflicting with one another because they weren't content with what they could do. They were looking at all the things that they couldn't do. 
And the application is very powerful for us. Though the miraculous spiritual gifts were set aside once the apostles passed away, as we learned about as we've been studying this, we learned a very important truth is that we need diversity and all of us have a variety of things that we can do. I've told you many, many times, uh, hospitals give me heebie-jeebies. If you see me in the hospital, you can just call me the Grim Reaper uh, because it's probably not good for you. <laughs> I said that jokingly because I, I, you know I've seen many of you in the hospital and you're still here. Uh, but some people, they love that. Love that work. They love being able to be there and sit in there and to be with our brethren who are in need at that time and love that. And other people who can serve and love to make meals and help Christians that way. Or to be able to be generous and give of their time or give of their money. Or to be able to teach or be able to help out in all these different things. There are so many areas. And that is the picture that is being given is we don't want everybody to do the same thing anyway. You don't want every part of your body doing the same thing. And so don't look at each other and say, well, they're doing something more important. And so that's really depressing me. And so I'm just not going to do it. No, look and say, that's great that they're doing that. Now, what can I do? What part can I play? I can't be an eye, but I can be an ear. Or I can't be an ear, but I'll be a mouth. Or I can't be a mouth, but I'll be a hand. We need every part doing its share. And so I submit to you to find your part in the work of the church here, to find your role, to see what you can do. We need more people doing more things. Lift up your eyes and see what we need. See what can be done. Participate in it. And and I submit to you that there's no barrier beyond the barrier you set for yourself. You can do great work for the Lord. Don't prevent that. Do it. You are part of this body. And God wants you to belong and do that and to recognize the diversity that exists in the body. I think that's one of the more depressing things that I see is is certainly when it comes to teaching is don't think the only thing to do here is teaching. Don't think that the only thing to do here is teaching. Teaching is important. Serving is important. Exhorting is important. Correcting is important. Encouraging is important. There is so much that can be done. And even within a group of 100 people, that's a lot of people that either need teaching, encouraging, exhorting, correcting, all of those things. We all need something. And all of us have a work that we can do in that. Verses 12 through 26 now, he says he recognizes there's a dependency. We're all joined by a common experience, that salvation experience in Christ. Though we're diverse and have come from different backgrounds and can do different things, verses 21 through 26 now describe, but we are completely dependent upon one another. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there may, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Notice he describes we are dependent on each other. And I would like to kind of sum that up by just simply saying there's not one person that does it all. And I believe this is a great failure in the religious world today. That there really has become such a great desire to elevate one person And he will be the one to do it all. And we will all sit back and clap and go, I'm sure glad he's doing all that great stuff. And he says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And as preachers, we need to make sure that the church doesn't look at us that way. Uh, I think people like that today in many ways, because if you get the whole church dependent upon you, they won't fire you, right? So there's great job security. So we like it. But it's not what the scriptures describe. Every part does its share that we need each other and every part does the work. And so don't look to one person and say, well, they've got that. We've got some great spiritual leaders at this congregation. Don't look at them. Well, they'll take care of that. You lift your eyes and see what can you do? What work can you accomplish? Because we need you. We are depending upon you just as much as you depend upon me. I'm depending upon you. I can't do everything and you can't do everything. And so you must do your part and I must do my part. Which then tells us something about the mind of Paul and how God perceives a local church is something that is important. And we live in a time that says, you know, the local church, who cares? We'll all sit in our pajamas and do do internet church and we'll all be okay. Notice there's no picture of that here. He says we all need to come together and work together because all of us have different functions and we're all different parts and all of us can do different things and we need one another. Now, I think it's a reaction to if all that you do on Sunday is you come here, sit down for an hour and leave, then you're right. What is the point of the local church? You can listen to a sermon online. What we do? That's not the point of today. And that's not why we're here. It is to be long together, to work together and worship the Lord together. We each are supposed to be functioning like the human body. We're supposed to be so joined together that he even uses the language there in verse 26. If one part suffers, we all suffer. I can't suffer with you if all you do is come and go. I don't know what's happening in your life and I can't help you. And I can't rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. If church just turns into come, sit down, go, check it off the list kind of place. And we can't make you be connected. It's probably one of my greatest frustrations at this job. It frustrates me to no end that I will try... To want to get more connected. And people don't want to be connected. We're in a society right now that is very much, you close yourself off to other people. I was talking to, uh, last Sunday night, uh, Actab and Esther just moved from uh, Dubai uh, and and were here with us. And they were saying, um, 
it's hard to talk to people here. I said, yeah, it is. Uh, I said, when you see your neighbors and stuff, you have to about throw yourself on the ground and writhe around to see if they'll talk to you. I mean, yeah, we're just in a world right now of we just live in our box. I don't need anybody else. I've got my TV and my internet. I don't need anybody else, right? You know, that's a, what a great life. I've got 4,000 friends on Facebook. Why do I need you? Paul says we're supposed to be so connected together to have such a relationship together that we're dependent upon each other. So much so that we can rejoice together, weep together. That that's the kind of body that God wants. That's what we're supposed to be. That though we are vastly different from different countries, different states, different backgrounds, different races, all those things. But because of the blood of Christ, we're joined together. And that singular salvation experience makes me care about you. And I hope it makes you care about me. We'll be joined together. We want to be interconnected just because of that great truth, because of that great experience. I love the picture that he uses here. Here they're fighting over, well, well, you do all these things, and so you know, you're getting more honor and all that. And he makes the point, doesn't one part of the body bring glory to the whole body? I, I like watching sports. I've never seen a pitcher when he throws like a, a, the perfect game. That the interview is all to the arm. You know, isn't that that arm amazing? I mean, we won't talk to the guy at all. It's just amazing arm of the arm that he has. The arm brings glory to the whole body. That's the way this is supposed to work. You might be an ear, an arm, a foot. It doesn't matter. Your work brings glory together to us, which is to bring glory to God. Me teaching people isn't, oh, well, that guy's getting up. That's for us. We're all teaching together. When you go teach, that's us teaching. When I go teach, that's us teaching. When you serve, that's us serving. When you go and help somebody, that's us helping. We're joined together so closely that it's not as if, oh, well, there's the hand over there doing it by itself. That's part of the body. That's the whole doing it. That's why there's not any competition with these things. But we rejoice in the diversity That you do certain things and you do certain things and you do certain things. And that is the whole of this congregation doing the work that God has given us to do. And so when you teach or you serve or you exhort or you give or whatever you're doing, that that's for the glory of God. And we are joined together in that very effort. Verses 27 to 31, finally, great picture that's given here is really it's every part And we need every single part. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually parts of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still more excellent and more excellent way. So here are those Corinthian Christians and they're all pumped up about one particular miraculous gift. And he says, we need everybody doing its part so much so that when one part is missing, it hurts. That it absolutely should hurt us. Is it going to hurt your body when one of your parts are missing? Uh, It's supposed to hurt like that. Uh, The other day I had a had a pretty good migraine. It 
dropped my body to the bed. That's how interconnected we're supposed to be, how much it's supposed to matter. We don't look at one part of the body and go, well, oh, well, you know. There's supposed to be such a concern for each other, a watching out for each other, that if we lose a part, we have to do something to bring it back. We're going to do everything we can to say, well, what's happened to you spiritually? How can we encourage you? We're missing you that we're that you're not here. And and friends, by the way, let me just put this on the record. If me or somebody else here ever comes to you and say that we've been missing you the past few Sundays, never interpret that to mean because we care that your body is sitting in a pew. Don't ever interpret it that way because I don't care about that. I don't care about that in the slightest. What I care about is that symptomatic of that there's something spiritually wrong and it's being reflected in that outward action. You're not being here tells me there's something going on spiritually. Because I'm not interested in perfect attendance out of you and have your spirituality a disaster. That's not the point. But your lack of wanting to belong to the body indicates a spiritual issue. And when I see that, I'm going to say something or I'm going to write you a letter or I'm going to make a phone call or I'm going to text you or email you. However, I have communication with you and I'm going to let you know, hey, what's going on? And guess what? I'm going to let everybody else in the body know because the whole body is supposed to rejoice together or suffer together. And so everybody's going to know this person needs help or I don't know what's going on. Help them. Because we're supposed to be so connected that we love and care for one another no matter the cost. There's no greater priority that I can have in your life but your salvation and your soul. It's the biggest thing I care about. It's the thing that matters most. Because I am concerned about your soul. I'm concerned about your walk with God. And I want to help you in that. And there are many people here who want to help you in that. And we want to help each other in that. You all are such an amazing encouragement to me. And I appreciate that so much. I can't even begin to express uh, the amount of encouragement you all bring me and the, and the work that you do and the, the, the serving that I see you do and the concern that you have for the loss. I, I, I I thank God all the time about it. I'm always so excited about that. You are always encouragements to me. I'm going to try to be an encouragement to you. And that's each part doing its share. Notice what verse 25 said. Why does all of this happen? Why do we all have a part? Why do we all have a work? Why do we all have a role? Verse 25 lays it out. He says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. All of our difference are supposed to bring about a unification together. That we'll have the same care for each other. That we will deeply care about the spirituality of each one. And we'll care about what you're going through and what you're suffering, what you're dealing with, and how we can encourage you to walk with God. Let me then end it on two things. I want us just to be warned of two false ways of thinking when we study something like this. Number one, sometimes we think we just don't need anybody else. I don't need anybody else. I'm doing just fine. 
you know, me and my Bible, we're, we're fine, and so, so I, don't, I don't need anybody. And, and I want to warn against that. Uh, and I want us to recognize what Paul has instructed here, that we need each other. So what we're saying is really coming from a place of pride. If we think, well, I don't need anybody, Paul says, yeah, you do. You need everybody. You need the other parts. You're just an ear. The ear by itself, not too useful. You need all the other parts to make that work. We all need each other. And to never look at each other as if, well, I don't need that person. Oh, who cares if that person falls away? Well, we haven't seen them in a while. Well, who cares? We're supposed to care greatly. It's supposed to mean a lot to us. And it's supposed to move us to do something. And so don't think you don't need the rest of us. And when we choose then not to participate, to not worship, to not gather together, to not study our Bibles together or work together, we make those kinds of decisions. We're saying, I don't need anybody else. We're saying, I don't need you. I'm fine on my own. And I submit to you, A, you're wrong. Paul says you do need others. And B, you're forgetting that other people need you. You're forgetting that other members of the body need you. So look at it both directions. You need them and they need you. You need their encouragement and they need your encouragement. And they need your serving. And they need your help. So number one way we think of false things about ourselves is we look around and go, well... I don't need anybody. I'm doing fine. Or we go to the opposite extreme. I've got nothing to give. The reason why, Brent, that I show up at 1030 and I leave at 1145 today, because <laughs> because I've got nothing to offer. What am I going to do? How am I going to help? How am I going to give? I've got nothing. And Paul says, that's not right. We need you. And I'm telling you specifically, we need you. You may not know what you can do, but we still need you. And you can find what you can do, and you can ask us what you can do. How can you help? What? How can you participate? What are things that we can help you get involved in? And the reason why we often think this way is because we just compare ourselves to other people. Don't compare yourself to me. I won't compare myself to you. Don't compare yourself to me. Don't compare yourself to somebody else here and what they're doing. Because that's what we do. We look at somebody, I can't do that, so I got nothing. Don't do that. You absolutely have something to give. And God wants you to give and work and serve and participate in the body. We all share in this great experience in Christ Jesus and we're all joined together. And how amazing it is that God could take people who have experienced perhaps the most polar extremes of life. And there be unity together. I love this congregation because it is a congregation that I have hardly seen elsewhere replicated such unity and harmony, such love for one another. It's staggering to me. Anybody who ever comes in here observes it and recognizes it. Something fantastic. I encourage you to keep it going and to continue all the more to see that you have a place, you have a role, you have a work. To lift up your eyes and look around and see what else can we can be done with. What else do we need to have accomplished? There's so much that we need to do for the Lord. So much that can be accomplished. Don't compare yourself to others. You have much to offer. 
You have much you can give to the kingdom of God. Let us help you do that, and won't you help us do it as well? You pull your songbooks out, we'll sing the invitation song, and we invite you to come to Jesus.